You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and we are here to kind of just inform you on a little bit about Penn State and a lot of bit about Michigan State because here on Mondays uh, we don't quite have anything fresh from James Franklin from Penn State players that changes Tuesday as you know we get into our weekly press conference we get into our player conversation so we're going to talk in a moment about what we're monitoring for Penn State coming off of the victory against Rutgers in which a bunch of new storylines emerged obviously you're still keeping an eye on the health of this team after missing so many guys uh, but as I said, Stephen Brooks, who covers Michigan State for 24-7 Sports, will be with us in just a moment. He's going to break down this team that at 9-2, and two, you may be surprised some of the things he says about this Spartans group and how he kind of views this game early on in the week. And this is a week where we are going to front load you with content on the podcast. Sean and I, like many of you, are going to be spending some time with family for the holidays. So look for a bunch of stuff early and then, hey, if, if you want to save the pregame conversation for, for your ride home from Thanksgiving, that's great. But it'll be out before Thanksgiving, uh, kind of our predictions episode. But, Sean, without further ado, we got a lot to kind of parse through after that 28 to nothing victory for Penn State that we broke down in the postgame episode on Saturday. The first thing we want to get to, we, we, we meant to do it in the postgame uh, before we signed off and it got away from us. But uh, condolences to the family of Steve Smith, former Penn State fullback, as you've probably seen by now. Of course, his battle with ALS, which was a very courageous, almost 20-year battle, which I can't even process in my head how hard that had to be. Um you know, he passed away this weekend. So condolences to that family, his Penn State family. We know a lot of the older players um, have very fond memories about Steve Smith and fans as well. So uh, sorry to see that happening. And it's just uh, it, it's a shame to see that sort of uh, disease, uh, the, the worst of that disease, because we see it with with Steve Smith, Tim Shaw. And it's just horrible, horrible thing to, to, to sit by. So uh, our condolences to his family. We're sorry we didn't get to it in the post game, but Moving on from that post game, a lot to a, a lot to be learned. I know it's Rutgers, uh, twenty eight nothing, but uh, a lot to be learned from this uh, this uh, showing by Penn State after that first quarter, even after that first half, weren't really sure what to uh, what to make of it. Christian Bayou comes in there, sort of cleans some cleans up some messes, throws three touchdown passes, and all of a sudden you get a little bit hopeful because you see the younger guys in there. You see Veyu, you see Lennon Tangwall, you saw, um, you know, some guys just kept popping up. Malik Mega had the long touchdown. Yeah, Yeah, you got the ability to see some of these young guys, and that's what you want to see at these type end games. And again, we keep saying, of course, it's Rutgers, but at the same time, getting those guys out there against a live defense, it's not a scrimmage. It's not a practice against your own guys. To see those guys get out there and excel is certainly gives you a little bit of positivity heading into the offseason. And you've got two games left here. We're not sure what game number two is going to look like. Game number one's on the road in East Lansing against the number 12 team in the country. Nice opportunity for you right there. And that's probably the biggest question is, where is Sean Clifford coming out of this matchup? We, we know that he was uh, impacted by an illness and he was on IV in the pregame. But we also understand that he's taken his lumps physically over the course of this season. Uh, most recently, seven sacks and five other hits against Michigan. And meanwhile, you got this long look of, of Christian Veyu for three quarters. And all he did during those three quarters of work, Sean, was rack up 270 total offensive yards, give you a spark, three touchdown passes, six, uh, four of his final six possessions for Penn State resulted in touchdowns after you know the start of this game I think six consecutive punts for for Penn State so 
you're wondering what 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 might that look like. I I, I know that the easy answer is hey, if Sean Cliff, Clifford is healthy, he's going to go and he's going to go the entire game against Michigan State in this matchup. And I'd expect that where that will be where it lands at the end of this week. But all of a sudden, instead of the quarterback room having this cloud hovering over it and us wondering how did it go so wrong, and and there are some major blemishes, and it was a major factor in at least a couple of these losses this season. But you're exiting the season thinking. Okay, what's what's number nine there all about, and what maybe could he mean for this quarterback room the next few weeks, and then the first few weeks of next year when all of a sudden he's going to have some company? Yeah, this has been your wheelhouse for the last couple of months. It's here. changed. Talk, it's not. It's nice. It's refreshing. It, yeah, to see some some tangible movement there too. I mean, because because obviously he passed up uh, Roberson, and we we said it last week that yeah, or after the game that you know that's a that's a matter of his improvement as well. I mean, everybody's going to look at that Roberson Iowa game and think that there's no way you want to put Roberson back out there, but at some point he has to pass him and and pass him considerably, considering this is his first year in the program. Roberson has been in the program for three years. Um, you know, it's not uh, not an endorsement of Roberson by any any sense of the imagination, um, but to see what he could uh, what Bayou could come in and do and he wasn't perfect let's be honest I mean he kind of looked like a freshman at times and you mentioned the times that he was lowering your shoulder or taking uh an, an, an extra jump and, and coming up uh hobbling a little bit uh, those things are are things that you can look at the film and and say hey maybe don't do that next time. You, you're, you're really our only guy that was out there. Uh, no, no disrespect to Mason Stahl who came in and had a really nice run at the end of the game. Um, but, but it was just fun to watch Veyu come around and do some things that, that you didn't expect from, from any of your quarterbacks, uh, Clifford to all the credit that we've given him for, for being a gamer and everything like that. You saw a little bit different from Veyu and that, that that's fun. I mean, I don't know if it's the perfect difference or anything like that, but it, it was fun to watch and you wonder, you know, not specifically, uh, to Michigan State, but you wonder how much would he gain from bowl practices? How much could you throw him out there? Because we saw this with Christian Hackenberg to Trace McSorley, that sort of changing of the guard in the uh, in the tax was the tax slayer bowl mm -hmm. against Georgia down in Jacksonville. Um, there, there's there's value in that, and there's value in setting that up for the spring, setting that up for next year when you've got two freshmen coming in in January, and 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 you know you kind of feel like there's some stability and some hope there in that quarterback room. And remember in 2018, when this team was preparing for the Citrus Bowl and Trace McSorley's last game as starter, it was Sean Clifford getting that work as the number two, getting those reps, even played a bit down there in Orlando because Tommy Stevens was sidelined. And that, that was obviously the storyline in the quarterback room moving forward with Sean Clifford's. But yeah, these, these reps are huge. And, and we've kind of been wondering, um, you know, what what is going to remain from this quarterback room long term for Penn State? How much will this room factor into plans and and the Sean Clifford stuff and and the extra senior year extra senior year that that's still on the line for him? That is a fascinating conversation. That I think that the further we get closer to him making a decision, the the more confusing that gets from both sides and both perspectives. Uh, but right now, uh, I think to see Christian go out there not have any you know huge you know terrible moments where he's turned the ball over because you know one turnover there when the game's still seven nothing or 14 nothing you can really play into Rutgers hands give them the short field he didn't do that and then you got the explosive plays out of him it's not like he was just protecting the ball and, and running up the middle and, and and churning out three four yards there were some really impressive moments from this offense with him directing it and ultimately you come out of this one and, and you say well that salvaged our post-game conversation because it was trending in a much different conversation uh for, for where that game was when when Christian entered and, and even late into the first half but again it also makes you wonder 
how does Penn State kind of allocate its quarterback reps here, not just in the week ahead, but uh, maybe that month ahead? Uh, and and we're going to have a, a mailback question on this in just a moment. Um, but it, it's it's a different conversation that pops up and, and elsewhere. How about a running back, Sean? Kevon Lee did get that opportunity to, to, to take on the, the first few series of this game. He finished 13 carries, 41 yards. He did have a touchdown off the left side that made it a 28-0 game. Uh, had kind of an unimpeded path there to the end zone off the left side. 3.2 yards per carry on the day for Lee. I thought there were a few moments where he just hits that hole, gets to the second level. He's got four or five yards before he's even got a break a tackle. A few times he was trying to pick up 15, 20 yards, and, and it resulted in really him not getting past that line of scrimmage. It's, it's been a, a trend that Jaywan Slater has pointed to since September and something they'd like to see less of with Kevon Lee. Noah Kane was active again, but more of the same, really. Seven of seven carries, 29 yards. That's over four-yard average, which is, you know, that's above where he has been, but nothing wow factor there. And, and then you get no Devin Ford, no John Lovett, and we actually got some Keziah Holmes for the first time in a long time. I guess that leads me to say I'm not sure what the backfield plan is. This is a matchup where on the other side, Kenneth Walker, we're going to hear in a moment, very questionable in terms of what his ability is and where we don't yet know who the quarterback's going to be in East Lansing for Penn State quite yet. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure where the running game stands. It wasn't the game to pick that they, they would break out against Rutgers, and, and you did a good job avoiding that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that whole virus thing or the whole flu thing really made for some yeah. changes up front. And that, no I mean, that kind of affected everything. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, the way that Penn State responded in the second half and, and you know, like I said, credit Clifford, credit Caden Wallace and anybody else that tried to go out and play and just couldn't get it done because they looked miserable. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, that was uh, that made you a little bit sick looking at it yourself. Um, yeah. But credit those guys. But at the same time, turning it on, covering the spread if we're going to go from that metric to a 28 point win of course the defense tremendously helpful in that but to turn it on to make that uh make it a blowout um essentially for for what you had on the table that's a pretty good result and and i know we're going to keep going back to the Rutgers thing and and Rutgers offense was was terrible and things like that but i mean they they were put in positions where Penn State could have given up a big play, could have you know let somebody behind them and, and you know turn that into six, but they didn't. And that's what you get away from it. It's really hard to shut teams out, even bad teams. It's really hard to shut out in college football. And Penn State was able to do that defensively and then take advantage of what was there and and hit a couple big plays. You had guys stepping up, and uh, you know the, the mega touchdown was great, but the Parker Washington touchdown that was pretty awesome because that wasn't a particularly great ball. Um, excuse me. I just voice cracked there. Uh, wasn't a particularly great ball. He went up he made a play and, and guys like Parker Washington asserting themselves as playmakers is something you've been missing through a stretch um, throughout the 2021 season. Parker Washington, you mentioned mega wide open touchdown, 67 yards. That's a hello Beaver Stadium moment for him. And and then uh, Tyler Warren with Tyler a couple Warren, big yeah. big catches downfield. And one particular that was with his fingertips snagging that one. Really impressive stuff. As as referenced on the postgame pod, Veyu went out there, decided to trust in the talent around him, and it paid off in most cases. And 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 he had a couple misses that scared you, but overall, again didn't play into Rutgers' hand and giving them an opportunity to get their hands on the football um, over the course of this matchup. And that was really important as they kept their distance. And defensively, let's face it, seven points might have been enough uh, in this matchup. I don't know, you know, you factor in field position if punts are still a thing, but Jordan Stout did his thing. We have, we have to include him, it feels like, almost every week as a 12th man in part of the defensive conversation because of what he does in putting opponents back. And with a team like Rutgers, that does rely on getting some sparks via the short field. He just didn't give them any daylight, Sean. Um, really, five 
five of these punts uh, land inside the 10 yard line. Uh, six of his eight punts inside the 20 yard line. That's just remarkable. And it really gives a team like Rutgers no opportunity, especially when you combine that with the Penn State defense that has been playing at a very high level all season long. Yeah, he's like the twelfth man on defense. He's like the third or fourth on offense right now. He's been a Jeez, he's yeah. been a threat for you. He's been he's been tremendous. And and let's not forget the uh, the coverage there. Drew Hartlob and Keaton Ellis both making very good plays down near the goal line to to pin Rutgers deep. I mean, when you've got a weapon like that, I mean it, it makes I it's not always the right call to uh, to punt it on on the other team side of the field. But if you can do that and make it like clockwork, where you're backing them up to the two or the one even. Um, then it, it makes it a little bit easier to swallow. So uh, Jordan Stout has been a weapon, will continue to be a weapon, has a big matchup this week as we'll get into with Stephen Brooks here in a little bit uh, with with Bryce Berenger from uh, from Michigan State, the two top-rated punters in the uh, conference according to yards per punt. Uh, so another fun punter matchup. That's what we come here for in the Big Ten. Well, Jordan Stout crossed Adam Korsak off his list, and he was the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week once again four times this year now. Did it last week against Michigan, this time around against Rutgers, week one against Wisconsin, and then game five against Indiana. So all four of them uh, happening in Big Ten play. That means half of Penn State's games in the conference this week have resulted uh, this year have resulted in Jordan Stout being named the top specialist in the conference. What a remarkable yeah. year for a guy they're asking to do everything. And I know that eligibility is left on the table, but he's got a lot ahead of him in this sport. Yeah, yeah, I think he's I think he's gone. Uh, I think he's gone one head to head that he lost, and that was the Iowa game. And that was yeah. not so much him losing it as the other guy was just fantastic. I mean, basically he did to Penn State what Stout did to Rutgers this week, just keep backing him up, backing him up, backing him up, and kind of the same result there. Uh, we do have a five-star mailbag. We're going to get to that ahead of the conversation uh, with Stephen Brooks on Michigan State. Um, and it's also going to lead us to talk about what happened on the offensive line last Saturday, because I know a lot of our listeners probably wondering where things are for that offensive front after missing three starters and a bunch of other guys getting involved. So the question this time around, Mr. Fitz, leads us to what lies ahead in the next month, and it's an important one. Penn State's chances for a big bowl game have been blown up, but what can the team gain from a postseason experience after not having one last year? Well, those practices are invaluable, not so much for the guys that are heading out, uh, but for the the younger guys that we've seen step up from, from you know, just from time to time. Um, I'm trying to think of an, ex an example in my head, and it's not coming to me, but there's a bunch of guys on this roster that will benefit from those extra practices. Wouldn't have gotten that last year. You've got, you, you had maybe an extra week of typical game practices. So in the bowl, what you're doing is you, your season's going to end in, in late November. Um, you're going to keep the, keep the options open. Coaches usually go on the road and you've got signing day coming up and everything like that. But you have basically camp practices where you can take your young guys. You can put them in there with your, with your game prep, uh, you know, your, your varsity teams for lack of a better word, and they can get valuable reps through that before you get into game prep last year would have just been game prep. Uh, so you wouldn't have gotten too much from it, but you can go position by position. And there's a lot of guys that can really benefit on this roster. Cause you have so many young guys, uh, Christian value, I mean, that kind of speaks for itself, right? If you got Sean Clifford, even if he does stick around, light reps for Clifford means more reps for VU, um, which means more experience points. And and you saw what you got on him on Saturday. Um, say, say the same in the running back room with uh, with a guy like Keziah Holmes came in, you know, showed a little bit of spark there against Rutgers. Receiver Malik Mega is a guy that's 
steadily climbed the charts. Uh, you got Harrison Wallace as well, Trey Wallace that you could throw in there um, in that in that conversation. But you've got Mega as a potential starter next year, maybe getting some of those reps where Jahan Dotson needs to step aside. And, and, and nobody's saying Jahan Dotson needs to step aside in the game, but give him a couple days off. He's earned it. Uh, the offensive line is the point that you wanted to get to. We saw a bunch of those guys on Saturday because of the illness, no Rasheed Walker, barely any Caden Wallace, no Mike Miranda. You saw Landon Tangwell get the start. And, you know, this was a, a situation early where it, it was a kind of a shell shock situation. He settled into the game. He did a really nice job um, against Rutgers playing tackle. Um, and, and I'm seeing him as a guy that could play tackle, could play guard. And there's a couple of those guys in this roster. So you'd like to see, uh, how much he could play tackle. Cause as we've seen this season, not having tackles can be an issue. Um, and, and Penn state's been there. Jimmy Chris is another guy. Olu Fashano has been hurt for a couple of weeks, but you get those guys. If he can get, if Fashano can get healthy, get those guys, valuable reps, get them in there. Um, you know, take Miranda, put him to the side cause he's a veteran, take, uh, take Rashid Walker, put him to the side cause he's a veteran and get those guys worked in through there, because that's where you're going to get basically your first round of spring practice for, uh, a group of offensive linemen who, you know, there's there, there's jobs to be won there. And I think w- when you get through this Michigan State matchup, you're only going to have maybe two guys who you, you can't play in the bowl game. Otherwise, you'll lose red shirt. I think it's Kobe King at linebacker and Jamari Budden at linebacker. And if that list is longer, I, I, I'm wrong, but I don't think it is. I think everybody else right now can play in the next game and then play in a bowl game and they'll still be a freshman again next year. And that includes Landon Tengwell, of course. And and it was really interesting to see him land at left tackle. Um, we, we'd been seeing him work on the right side during practice sessions when we got a look at him. Obviously, going back to the earliest conversations of his recruitment, it's been where does he land? He talked about, hey, wherever I can find a path to playing time and wherever Penn State and, and Phil Troutwine need me. So thus far, you know, through 10 games, we didn't get a chance to see him. And then he surfaces on, at left tackle. I'm still of the mind that despite a performance that that was, you know, just exactly kind of where you thought Landon might be based on what we talked about him. I thought he responded well to some of the early series. And then I think you used the phrase settled in and just you know, use that technique and never was really thrown off uh, over the course of this matchup in, in a way that I think even highly touted freshmen, regardless of who you're matched up in, you're getting thrown in a game week 11, you should expect some issues to surface. And I thought he did a nice job working through that. I'm sure there was a lot of behind the scenes that he was dealing with growing from. Um, so really important for him to get all those reps. And it was a lot of reps with Caden Wallace missing so much time. Um, I think guys like Nick Dawkins, you know, where, do you, where is he right now in your, in your plans here moving forward at center, at guard maybe? Golden Israel, Chumba, Ibrahim Traore. It's not so much about Jimmy Christ. It's not so much about guys who are going to show up in this bowl game. It's the fact that because you're not preparing week by week for a Big Ten opponent right now, your coaching staff, from the offensive coordinator to the positional coach to the assistants that work around them, you're going to have a chance to really take a longer look at a lot of these guys who've kind of been lost in the shuffle. As much as you want to bring up young players, Sean, you got to win games on Saturdays, and it's difficult for a staff to allocate as much attention on some of these younger players during the course of the season. Once you get through the regular season and you get between like Thanksgiving and Christmas, you learn a lot about kind of those year one guys. And I think because of how last year went with the pandemic, it's also really important for a lot of the year two players on the roster. Yeah, you want, and to me, you want to learn a lot about what you have at tackle because you, mm-hmm. you've got uh, the transfer from Harvard coming in, Spencer Rolland, um, who's probably a tackle, but you know, you, you've got a couple of guys on this this roster that are swing guys, and 
you know, we had we had Landon Tengwell ranked as the nation's number what ten offensive tackle last year. Kind of like him as a guard better. You know, I, I think long term, if you put him in the NFL, probably going to be a guard. Caden Wallace, we've we talked about a bunch, liked as a guard. Fashano, you have as a tackle. Jimmy Christ, you have as a tackle. I mean, Jimmy Christ was scout team three weeks ago, and now all of a sudden he's getting reps uh, in there last week. And fine, I'm fine with how he played. I mean, uh, you, you think maybe a little bit more promise than you would have thought based on his uh, his, his scout team reps. So. Um, I, I think you got to find out what you've got to tackle because you've got to attack that next year and figure out what's uh, what your ideal offensive line looks like. And then you, of course, you're going to get reinforcements with Rolland here coming in this or after, I guess, after his graduation, similar to what Eric Wilson did. So probably in the, the early summer, late spring. Um, so, yeah, there's a there's a lot to learn in these couple of weeks between uh, between Thanksgiving and, and New Year's or whenever you wherever you're going to play your your bowl game. And on that offensive line is is huge. I also think on the defensive line is a, is a big spot for them because you've got guys, a bunch of those redshirt freshmen or, you know, that that that's so murky in terms of what uh, what you're looking at for eligibility. But Zariah Fisher's in there. Uh, Davon Townley, the true freshman uh, from Minnesota. Maybe you get to see what uh, see what you've got from him. Smith Vilbert's played a little bit more um and, and inside Fatoma Molba and and Jordan Vandenberg are guys that have gotten spot duty um out there and you see what guys that have gotten spot duty like Kazaya Izzard did last year like Devon Ellis did last year those guys all of a sudden might be starting for you in a year so starting to cultivate a little bit more depth and talent at defensive tackle even though it's not the frontline starter type guys but those guys can can really show up in a big way next year and a few other names, just because you're about to get a major influx of, of offensive firepower from this 2022 recruiting class in a few weeks and, and when they enroll in January. Some guys who I'm curious to see how they withstand that and where they're at going into next spring. You mentioned Trey Wallace, but Liam Clifford still uh, you know, hasn't been a guy who surfaced in games. And also Jaden Dotton. And based on some of the feedback last week from Taylor Stubblefield about the second-year receiver that came in the same class as Malik Mega and, and Parker Washington um, and Keandre Lambert-Smith, um, just you know, it didn't sound like he was to the point where he was ready to enter a game really over the course of this season. A lot in factoring in there was kind of a, a bit of a murky answer, but it's a murky situation with him. So another month of practice, what can he gain from it? What could he maybe lose from it? I think there's a lot to look at with a guy like that in, in his career. And then Khalil Dinkins in that tight end room, someone you've mentioned a few times. What can he do with his final month here on the practice field or working behind a group of tight ends who have played a lot of football ahead of him here in 2021? Haven't, haven't had a chance to see anything from him uh, really. So where do they evaluate him as an athlete, as a tight end? There's a few of those kind of questions that this staff is going to be wondering in January, like we talked about Zariah Fisher last year. What do you want to do with him long term? Khalil Dinkins is one of those players that we knew going back to sign day last year. Maybe he's in the crosshairs for, for a conversation after you've had a full year sample size on the practice field to see what he what he fit for you now and maybe where he fits for you one, two, three years down the line. He got to play at tight end this weekend, but you you know, going back to his recruitment, I'd love to see that kid at linebacker. Um, and and speaking of linebacker, take it easy on Ellis Brooks in bowl practice. Uh, the guy, the guy has been beat up. He's been playing with a cast uh, for for much of this season. So guys like uh, Tyler Elston, guys like Kobe King, uh, who you mentioned, probably not going to play again this yeah, year. Yeah, that's the tricky uh, thing there with him. Yeah, and then and then Budden as well, especially if you've got to move Curtis Jacobs into the box next year and see what you got with uh, with Jamari Budden out there at the Sam. Then uh, that's going 
going to be an interesting uh, an interesting one. In the secondary, of course, Kalen King and Johnny Dixon have played before, but you know, Tariq Castro Fields, you know, he's he's not coming back, obviously. Um, so you get some reps in there for those guys. Um, and Zaki Wheatley is a really mm-hmm. interesting one. He played on special teams this week. Um, I think he got in at the end of the game as well. Uh, they played one play on defense. I'll have to check my tweet to see if he was the one of the corners there. Long athletic ball skills also did not get to play much um, due to COVID during his senior season. So you've got an opportunity to see what you've got in a guy like that. Maybe he's a guy that can crack that rotation next year or potentially move to safety because when Penn State recruited him, they recruited him as a safety and put him at corner, work on those skills, and, and it's going to depend on some other guys in that room. Um, but very intrigued by what uh, what Zaki Wheatley can bring to the table. For those maybe wondering, hey, we are in late November now. What are you talking about going down the depth chart like this? Go check out Mark Brennan's story about just how close Mason Stahl was to starting for the Nittany Lions on Saturday. Depth is extremely important, and obviously a lot of the conversation we're having now is regarding the 2022 roster, but you're in kind of a balancing act mode for if you're the Penn State staff. And, oh, by the way, trying to get to the finish line with a really talented recruiting class. A ton going on right now. You can monitor it at lines247.com. Um, we are going to talk right now uh, with a Michigan State reporter, Stephen Brooks, and, and get a better feel for what Penn State's facing up in East Lansing this week. Let's talk about this upcoming matchup on Saturday. You heard him last year on this very same podcast. He covers the Michigan State Spartans. Stephen Brooks from 24-7 Sports Spartan Tailgate. Stephen, interesting week to, to run into you. Uh, obviously, a much higher note at different points of this year on, on a nine-win campaign here through 11 matchups. Um, but Michigan State's coming in after a definitive loss that was set set uh, very early. We were checking the score from the press box, and we kind of couldn't believe how it was evolving for the Spartans. What is it like in East Lansing right now, talking to the coaches, players, coming off of that kind of a performance? Yeah, it's about, you know, kind of what you'd expect to just, you know, salvage this thing, you know. So the Big Ten's off the table. Obviously, the playoff is off the table. Uh, for Kenneth Walker, the Heisman might be off the table after that. So, you know, just about playing for pride, you know, and, and salvaging this deal. You know, 10 wins, uh, you know, we all know it. It just looks better than nine. You know, it's, it's literally just one unit, but it looks so much better. It feels so much better. Um, and then, of course, you can get to 11 in a bowl game, and that feels even better. So, um, that's kind of the deal, you know, just trying to circle the wagons, you know, it, there's, uh, maybe we'll get into it, but like, you know, from the outside folks, I think, accept that, like, this is a house money situation. And literally just like an hour ago, Mel Tucker was at the podium and said, I hate that. It's not a house money deal, you know, to me. And, and, you know, there's, a, you can have a conversation there, I think. Uh, but it is still year two. I say that just to say it's still year two. And they still are, they're still building some things, you know, uh, behind the scenes. And all the wins they picked up obviously are great. And those are very, very encouraging signs. But um, in terms of culture, in terms of responding to situations like this, in terms of just what this program's made out of, they're still trying to, to cement some of that stuff and build some of that stuff. And I think that this game uh, will be part of that. You know, how do you, how do you bounce back after just getting your head taken off, you know? Steven, coming into the season, I believe the over-under for wins for Michigan State was four, four and a half, something four and like a half, that. Yeah. Now that it's nine and two, how, how what has that roller coaster been like? Because we talk about expectations, and then all of a sudden, I mean, this is this is more than double the win total for Michigan State, and now people upset because they lost to Ohio State. What is the recalibration of of where this program's at right now? Yeah, so yeah, it has been very interesting, like you said. I mean, there's almost you've almost gotten whiplash, like sort of readjusting them, because um, as you mentioned, four and a half wins, and even even that seemed sort of almost laughably low at the time, you know. I, I, 
most folks came into this year saying, get to six and six, go to a bowl. And we've taken that step and, and we can take another one in year three. Um, you know, seven, maybe if things broke right, eight is a dream season, you know, and now they're already at nine, of course. So it has been an interesting process. Um, you know, from within Tucker and the coaches have kind of said like, hey, like we kind of think we got a team here. Um, at least in our top 22. And, and, you know, this was something that Tucker just talked about again today as well. Uh, he said in camp, he sort of had a meeting with them. as like, hey, guys, I've been around long enough. I think we got something here. You know, we believe it. Do you believe it um, with our with our top 22? But he, he, in the same conversation, he said, no, here's the bad news. Um, we don't have the depth to, to do that. You know, if we start losing some guys and they've that's really hit near the second part of the year. Um, so like you said, it's been interesting just because at, on the one hand, I think some folks can sort of look back and put themselves back in August and say, man, i never saw this coming. This is amazing. Then on the other hand, you know, you've lived through September and October and you're like, well, maybe there's more here, you know? So there's that disappointment. Um, all in all, I still think I've said this a few times, like no matter what this year ended up being, even if this team made the playoffs somehow, and at no point this year did I think that they were a playoff caliber team. I know they were up there in the rankings. I know they had the resume, but having watched every game um, in person, I never thought that this was a playoff caliber team that could go in there and even remotely compete. It would have looked like Ohio State against any other playoff team. I, I thought that the entire way, even as they were kind of overachieving. Um, so I, I, what my point was, I, I've said a couple of times on different things, you know, whatever this season became, it was never going to be Mel Tucker's best team at Michigan State, even if they went to the playoff, which would have matched, obviously, Mark Antonio's sort of career high there and, and all that it was never going to be his best team based on how he's recruiting, based on how he operates. I mean, I have full faith that this he's going to get a much better roster put together uh, at some point, maybe next year, maybe a couple than this one. So um, that's kind of the deal. You know, folks here have quickly, you know, fallen off their feet uh, from Mel Tucker. They, they, you know, we all know the big contracts looming out there and everything, and folks might have their opinions and everything, but here within the Michigan state fan base, Folks have uh, completely bought in, completely. And then I don't think there's many people that root for this team and support this team and watch this team that, that have much of a problem with that number, even though I know there's been some debate and and commentary, you know, on that since that all came out. So uh, interesting times, and uh, we'll see how they cap it off from here, like I said. Steven, with the way the last regime went, I mean, you could cover Michigan State for the last 15 years, and this is only the second head coach you're dealing with uh, covering this football program, but – the way it ended with Mark D'Antonio, uh, seven wins back-to-back -back years, they had a three-win season, all that following that playoff appearance uh, just back in 2015, I, I believe that was. Now two and five under Mel, uh, Mel Tucker last year. How startling has this turnaround been, the way the pendulum has swung back, and what has really fueled it ultimately? Because as you said, eight wins sounded like a dream, and they got past that, what, three weeks ahead of Thanksgiving? Right, right. So, yeah, it has been very startling, you know. Um, right from the first play, uh, literally the first play of the season, Kenneth Walker bounces a run outside, 75-yard touchdown. You're like, hmm, haven't seen many of those lately. Haven't seen many touchdowns lately. Did not literally, literally no rushing touchdowns from running back last year. So I hadn't seen that uh, in, a, in a season. Wow. Um, so there were some early signs. Then, you know, the Miami win, you're like, wow, you know, okay, okay. Uh, you know, and then been some moments, um, Rutgers, they just destroyed them in sort of highlight fashion. And so different steps along the way, you started to sort of wonder about maybe how real is this? Okay. Maybe it's pretty real. It's getting there. And, you know, they keep, keep winning. Um, in terms of how it happened, it's two things. And I've, 
uh, I got a, I've got a very well rehearsed uh, script here because I've talked about this every <laughs> single week. So I'll try to keep it brief though. It's two things. First, just having the off season uh, together with these coaches, you know, uh, COVID affected everybody that has to be said, but it, I don't think it affected any program more than Michigan state. You got to remember Mel Tucker was hired on February 12th, 2020. You know, so even a guy like Greg Schiano, I believe, was hired in December. First-year coaches in 2020 were already one to two or more months into their gigs. They knew what they could do. They could do a little transfer portal magic. They could do some late signing period stuff. Mel Tucker didn't have either of those things. And then one month later, campus was deserted. So anyway, no spring ball, no traditional summer workouts, um, none of that stuff. Camp, you know, four or five days in, they call it off, then they reconvene a month later, all that stuff. So this year they had a full January and they really, really like their strength staff and what they're doing there. They've got a full-time nutritionist now that they think is doing really, uh, really positive things for them. The summer, the full 15 spring balls, the regular camp. So players knowing coaches better, coaches knowing players better, literally understanding the schemes better, all those things finally got to happen this year. That's one major part of it. The second major part of it is the roster renovation. Uh, they've got about, they've got over 30 new guys on this team from a year ago. So, you know, we all know that's about a third of a college football roster. That's a lot to turn over in one year. Um, 15 of those guys are scholarship transfers. So they hit that end hard. And just like I mentioned earlier, their, their top 22 on both sides were unquestionably better. They're still not very deep at many places as we're, you know, as we're observing right now, but there was no doubt that, that they were more talented and that the competition at certain positions was better than a year ago. So, you know, it's just point blank. They're a better team now. They have better players now. And then, again, they had the full offseason, the weight room, the spring ball, all that stuff. It's those two things may, uh, put together that, that really explain why they are where they are right now. Let's talk about that depth because injuries have mounted up very quickly uh, for Michigan State. Mel Tucker said today there's a significant amount on both sides of the ball and on special teams. Um, of course, you're going with the next man up mentality, but what what can you realistically expect from Michigan State this weekend from an injury standpoint among not just Joe every guy in there playing in the line, but their stars are, are hurting too. Right, right. So I thought it was going to be a battle with Penn State with the team that showed up to Columbus. And that was already a team that was limited, you know, and now the team coming out of that game against Ohio state, they lost a couple more key guys. And I don't know if they'll be back. Um, all of them, some of them, any of that. Now I, I do not feel good about, about Michigan state's chance just because they're so depleted. You know, you're talking about a senior safety, Xavier Henderson, the only guy that's been a captain every single week. Uh, if he's not their leading tackler, he's in like the top three, um, very important player on the defense, main, their main communicator, their main leader. He left and didn't return in the second half. Kenneth Walker, everyone knows him. Uh, I think it was one touch in the second half, I want to say, and, and did not return after that. So he's nicked up. Um, they came to Columbus without Jalen Naylor, their number two receiver. Their number one, Jaden Reed, went down in that game, did not return after halftime. Uh, Jarrett Horst, their starting left tackle, one of the transfer guys, came in from Arkansas State and it really, really boosted them at left tackle. They have, That was a position of weakness for a long time. Allowed some other guys to move back to their natural positions to sort of sort of stabilize things there a little bit. He's been out for multiple weeks now. Uh, Charles Brantley, a corner, one of their top four corners, has been out and is not rich. He's got a season-ending shoulder deal. And so the three corners that they really play a lot that are able to play, neither none of them are, are 100% uh, by any means. Ronald Williams, uh, Alabama transfer, is playing with a bad back. And Marquis Lowry, a Louisville transfer, has been playing with sort of a recurring uh, injury. I think it's a hamstring. It's, it's something um, that's been nagging him the whole year. Uh, anybody else? Um, Clavaris <laughs> Crouch, starting linebacker, Line up, yeah. Tennessee transfer. 
he had like he came out with a brace on. He was late to warmups. I thought he wasn't going to play, and he came out at the last second and did some eleven on eleven. Had a brace on his knee, which he doesn't usually have, and then he uh, at some point exited and did not return. I think it was second half for him. So, like I mentioned, their top twenty-two, as we saw, got him to eight and zero, got him all the way up there with everything in front of him, and then really around the Michigan game, the Purdue game, um, they started to fray at the seams a little bit, and uh, this Ohio State game, you know, um, they, you know, they really started breaking down. So I'm I'm curious to see who's going to be back, but. Uh, they were not a team that was going to survive this volume of injuries, especially all at once. And fellas, if we got like a full fledged injury report, NFL style, it would be like a, a very long scroll today uh, between these two teams, illness involved there. And obviously you talk about a banged up team, the name that's going to jump off the, the audio there and, and all the things you type this week about these injuries is Kenneth Walker, of course, right around 1500 rushing yards guy who put himself in that Heisman conversation just a phenomenal performance against Michigan, of course, the signature moment. But here we are in the regular season finale. What do you think Michigan State is capable of doing offensively if we're talking about a limited Kenneth Walker or worst-case scenario, guy who's not available at all on Saturday? Right, right. So without Kenneth Walker, you know, as much as I just said they're a better team, top 22 is better, uh, more talent than a year ago, without Kenneth Walker – this is this is very this is a 500 team you know um, give or take a game that he has been a massive difference maker and his numbers of course explain a lot but so much of what they want to do offensively and have done and had success with is built around him not just handing him the ball and you know he can make magic happen that way but they've been extremely efficient and productive on play action and obviously that's you know uh, exponentially more effective when you've got Kenneth Walker back there as opposed to anybody else. Um, you know, like the, the, they run flea flickers almost every week and they don't even consider it a trick play. They just say, Hey, it's a play action pass. This is just, this is part of our offense. Um, and that, that's, that can only happen if you have a guy like Kenneth Walker back there. So it's allowed Peyton Thorne to sort of grow in the position as a, as a first year starter. Um, and again, like quite literally a lot of their big plays in the passing game have come off of play action or just can, can be correlated back to Kenneth Walker back there. So I'm, I would be concerned if he's slowed. Because uh, we've seen, you know, we saw him in that game. He wasn't, I don't think he came in 100%. And uh, he just didn't look right, you know. And so much of his game is open field, flashy, herky-jerky, you know, make you miss in a phone booth type of stuff. I mean, he's not a, he, he's not a guy I think that can give you much at less than full strength. Um, he'll try, you know. He plays really hard, runs really hard. But his game is making you miss in space and getting out on the edge and then running by you. Those are really hard things to do, you know, if you're not 100%. Uh, the receivers then, you know, so you don't even have that element. You might not be have your top two receivers. And this is a team that I like the receiver depth. I think the guys that, that could step in or maybe will step in are good players. Um, I think they've got some dudes who could play at a lot of Big Ten schools just sort of waiting in the wings, to be honest. But they just have never – they haven't rotated them that's, that much this year. When they were healthy, their top three receivers played easily 90% of the offensive snaps. I don't have the numbers in front of me but easily 90%. They did not rotate very liberally at receiver at all. So these guys, while I like them and I think they got some promise, they just don't have much experience at all. And uh, a game like this, a good team like Penn State, you can't afford that wide open drop pass that would have been a first down, you know, because the guy has played two games this year and or uh, has his hands on it. He takes a little bit of a hit and he drops it because he's not used to getting hit full speed like that. Things like that. Uh, and I just, you know, of course, Kenneth Walker is a, you know, a legitimate Heisman candidate, but um, I don't really, I don't, I don't really love the backs behind him, you know, either. It's not like they got a guy that you can feel good about getting you through a day. 
um, especially against a team like Penn State, I would say. You know, if it was if it was a lesser opponent, then I then I think they could maybe scrape their way through. But I don't really, I don't love their, uh, I don't love anybody's ability to give them even a, a shade of what Kenneth Walker could do. And uh, so I think that's concerning. And then you've got a ton of concerns on defense, uh, even when they were healthy. And as we've talked about, they're not healthy there either. So I uh, I think it's going to be a challenge, a big big challenge for Michigan State. And they're gonna if they if they somehow win this game. Um, they're gonna they're gonna have earned it because uh, they're gonna have to do it the hard way. I would imagine. For for the Penn State fans listening, what's what's kind of the backstory on Walker getting to Michigan State? He was very productive kid out of Memphis. Went to Wake Forest where he put up one of my favorite stat lines ever. He rushed for 579 yards two years in a row, I think it was. Yeah. Um, but then entered the portal. Michigan State, of course, leaned heavily on the portal. What's uh, how did he end up in East Lansing, basically? Yeah, yeah. So. He wasn't for somehow a lot of people missed him. I mean, he was, he was, I think he was a two star, maybe three star kid coming out of high school. Um, I want to say Wake was his first, maybe only Power Five offer. I think like Old Dominion and maybe Kent State or something were sniffing around. Um, just, just was a real under the radar guy coming out of high school, goes to Wake Forest and has two nice years, like you said, but was never the starter there. And now you see what he's doing now. You're like, what are those guys, what, what are they seeing down there? But um, part of it was, you guys, uh, you know, and, and folks that might might be listening, if you've seen Wake Forest play, their run game is is a lot of this read option stuff, but it's a very slow, delayed mesh point deal where the quarterback rides the ball in the they gut of the running the back point. And, yeah. and lets it ride, lets it ride, and it's a really long read thing. It's not just here, boom, you got the ball, go. It's a very delayed deal, and so that I don't think was the best fit for him. He still was productive in it. And he still had some really impressive highlights. And when they got him, I'm like, that's a pretty nice pickup. Um, that's the that's a guy that can play. And so their main thing was uh, selling them on getting the ball now, going downhill now. You get the ball right away, read the blocks, and go. You know, no, uh, there's no delay, there's no waiting, there's no hesitation. And that's what he was looking for. You know, he was looking for a different offense when he went into the portal. Um, and they were like, hey, we need uh, all the help we can get. Like I mentioned earlier, none of our running backs scored a touchdown last year. And so they were trying to upgrade talent and uh, basically, yeah, looking for a, for a number one back. And uh, he's been that and more. Um, he impressed the coaches up here right away. And they'll all tell you they thought he was going to be good. Um, I'm sure if you went and had a beer with him, though, they'd all tell you that he's even better than that. Um, we all thought he'd be, you know, like I said, I saw his tape. I was like, eh, that's, a, that's a nice pickup. Um, I did not expect him to be a Heisman contender. I did not expect him to be arguably the best running back in the country, uh, whether it's him or, or Robinson or, who, you know, take your pick, I guess. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of the deal there. Came up, came over here right away and just impressed in the weight room. And then, like, the first time he gets his hands on the ball, he's making dudes miss and doing all the stuff we ended up seeing this year. And a, a couple of defensive players have said later, you know, we'd be in spring ball and this guy's just making us look silly and running out, you know, running downfield. We're, we're breaking our necks trying to find him. And they're like, is he really good or are we really bad? And uh, maybe the truth is, I guess, a little bit of both. But he is really good. And uh, like I said, he sort of proved it from the first day he got here. And uh, he's, he's, he's been the reason more than anybody else that they've been able to overachieve and have this success. What are your thoughts on this Michigan State defense? Uh, clearly in a couple losses here, big point totals on the other side of the matchup. This is a game where right now we haven't heard from James Franklin. We haven't heard from anybody, but we're coming off of seeing two quarterbacks involved, including a true freshman. Michigan State, any talk about preparing for multiple quarterbacks in this matchup? And additionally, in general, Jahan Dotson and what they might be facing with him in this matchup, kind of depleted secondary from a medical standpoint based on what you said. 
Yeah, yeah. So we uh, Tucker didn't get into the two quarterback thing. Um, he faced a little bit of that with Michigan, you know, with with McCarthy. So uh, it's something they're aware of. You know, he's a defensive coach. I'm sure he's on top of that. He didn't explicitly get into it today. But uh, in terms of Michigan State's defense, so what they've been all year is they they've been they have reset the standard of they had I should say um, of bend but don't break. And it's an old football cliche, and we hear it every Sunday on NFL games. But they they were the they were the definition of that. They would give up all the yards in the world between the twenties, and then in the in the red zone, they would they'd be able to stiffen up somehow. They would find a way and bow up and hold people to field goals or get a turnover, and that's how they got to eight and zero. That's how they got uh, where they got early in the season, and it was still concerning because they were getting a lot of passing yards put up on them, and, and they basically have every week. And uh, now that's even more of a concern. Like I mentioned, they're down one of their top four corners. At least two of their other three are are, are not at one hundred percent out there playing. So we saw what happens against a good passing game just last weekend. I mean, Ohio State sliced and diced them every single way possible. They had no shot to compete there defensively because their their defensive backfield just isn't that good, even when it was healthy. Like I said, they gave up a ton of yards. So anybody with a competent passing game has to come in and feel good about what they can do against Michigan State. These guys, they're just they don't cover very well. Uh, sometimes they don't tackle very well downfield. But that's the biggest thing is receivers can just kind of get whatever they want. And they're usually happy giving them the underneath stuff, of course, with the idea of keeping it in front of them and preventing the big play. But even the big play has been there lately. You know, they uh, they're just they don't have a lot of answers back there right now, uh, schematically or personnel wise. Um, and like I said, Ohio, of course, Ohio State can stress everybody that way. But that was the ultimate nightmare for Michigan State. I mean, you're banged up with a with a group that was already underperforming against three NFL receivers and, and an amazing quarterback in Stroud. And that's exactly what I thought could happen. And it's exactly what happened. Uh, and then, you know, they, they don't rush the passer well either. So you've got guys that can't cover very well on the back end. They don't get after the passer very well at all, especially with their front floor. Uh, they've turned up their blitzing a little bit more later in the season now to try to switch things up a little bit. And they're not even that great of a blitzing team, to be honest, either. But just with their front four, they get very little pressure. So that obviously – hurts what they're doing on the back end too. Um, the one thing they do good, they do well defensively uh, is stop the run. They're very deep at defensive tackle. They're very experienced really at end too. They're, they're a good run stopping D line. Um, they don't rush the passer very well, but they can, they can clog up the middle and just uh, wear you down and, and, and muddy up the front. Um, it's very hard to run on them because of that depth, because of that experience. The linebackers are solid. They feel well, but um, anything in the passing game uh, is pretty much trouble for Michigan state right now. Steven, you're making them sound like the worst nine-win team in the country. <laughs> sounds yeah, like he's yeah. shooting straight here. He is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm seeing. I'm being honest. Um, and like you know, like I said, I mean, it's not that it was fluky, but you can look at their schedule and see who they beat. You know, and, and that was a different team though as well. I mean, this team that's going to take the field now just isn't the team that went eight and zero. You know, it, it's just it, it, it's literally just not the same guys. Um, so so that's part of it. And yeah, I, I do think some of the some of their success this season is, is fortunate when, and with respect to the schedule and everything. I mean, Miami isn't what they thought they'd be. They've turned it around a little bit, but they're not what they thought they'd be. Northwestern was not a returning Big West champion, you know, that you would uh, fear or anything like that. So you can look at it and kind of go, hmm, okay. You know, I kind of understand a little bit more now. But, uh, yeah. they, they, you know, that's not to take anything away from them. You got to play who you got to play. You got to, and, and they beat them. So they got those I wins mean, fair and square. It's like, it's, it's almost like with fandom, you watch one team 
so much and you you can see the warts you can see everything pop up and that's the the stuff that gets magnified i mean we see it I mean, we run message boards for god's sake so um, <laughs> we, we see all that kind of stuff peyton thorne quarterback um he's a guy that came in i think he got his first start against penn state uh yep. if if i'm if i'm correct um but he's had a season 22 touchdowns eight interceptions obviously leaning heavy on that run game um has been helpful for him is he a guy that if kenneth walker's not playing if he doesn't have those receivers is he a guy that's going to you know, come out and put this one on his shoulders. I know he's a gamer for sure, um, but is he going to come out and put this one on his on his own shoulders and, and win a game for Michigan State? I honestly couldn't tell you. You know, we, that's kind of one of the next steps that we're waiting to see because, uh, like I mentioned, so much of his success has been built off of uh, play action or the threat of Kenneth Walker or just the incredible balance. That was really the story of their offensive season the first half, just the incredible balance. Um, they could do it either way, and they could hurt you really bad either way. So – we haven't had to see him. You know, they haven't played by a lot of, with a lot of deficits either. They they scored on the first play, the first two weeks of the season. They've played with a lot of leads this year, um, so we haven't had to see Peyton Thorne go win them the game. The closest thing probably was the Maryland game, um, and there were some positive signs there. But he had Jaden Reed, you know, and and there. Uh, if if you guys have watched the Michigan State game, you've heard it. And they went to middle school together. They've known each other a very very long time. Uh, they're very very close. He will Thorne will will gamble some throws to Reed that he would only throw to Reed. So that's something to consider if he's not able to play this week. Um, otherwise, though, Peyton Thorne is is not a gambler at all. He's a he's a grandson of a coach, son of a coach, very very cerebral with how he plays the position. And I've always said this throughout this year. His greatest strength, because physically he really won't wow you. You know, six one six two doesn't have a cannon arm or anything. Um, can move pretty well. Well, can hurt you in the run game if you if you fall asleep. But you know he's not Johnny Manziel. Um, but his greatest strength is just is his is, is smarts. You know he will not, for the most part. You know there's been some occasions, but for the most part he will not put the offense in a bad position. If it means he's got to eat a sack, he'll eat the sack. He won't go struggle with the ball and try to make a play and get it knocked out. He won't do that. He won't force it on third and long if the guy's uh, you know blanketed by the by the DB. He just will you know. Um, even if it's if it's scramble out of the pocket and, and run out of bounds for a loss of one or whatever, and you got to punt the next play, he's going to make the smart play. He's not going to turn it over very often. He's not going to force things. He's not going to get crazy with the ball. He's going to make the smart play nine out of ten times, even if that's the boring play or you know the drive killing play. Like I said, like he's 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 very good at that. Um, he's very accurate. Uh, can can make the plays there. He's got a good deep ball, and they'll they'll challenge people deep. Um, but in terms of that, that uh, him putting the game on his shoulders um, without Walker, without maybe his top two receivers, we just haven't seen something like that because he has kind of always had that benefit of one or the other. If it wasn't Walker, he had his receivers out there and they were making big plays for him. If it wasn't them making big plays, he could hand it to Walker and, and he was getting 200 yards or close to it. So that's kind of the next step, I think, in his growth and his development that we need to see is can he go win them a game? Of course, you know, that's like, Let's just be honest, it's harder to do without your best guys, you know. So maybe it, does it say anything about him? Does it say anything about his cast? Uh, you know, we'll have to dissect that, I guess. But um, I'm kind of curious to see that as well. And this is obviously a perfect opportunity for him to, to show that and make those strides if, if that's what he's capable of. Well, Steven, I'll leave you with this one. The matchup ahead of us on Saturday, it sounds like from some of your phrasing, the way you're talking about the team you, you cover – you sound like you've considered them a bit of an underdog going into this matchup. Um, if that's inaccurate, you can tell me where are you kind of leaning at this stage with several days still to go in game week and a lot to learn on the injury report. Um, I'm just kind of digging through some of the things we've heard from you. And, and I guess, I guess that's kind of where I'm taking it. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, like I said, I mean, I, uh, I know folks, uh, outside of, you know, folks around here had sort of, uh, gotten sour on Penn state and, and, you know, once the, once they'd suffered a few losses and, and, I'd sort of discarded them, you know, quite honestly, I never did. I always thought this was a solid team and I haven't watched every snap like you guys have, you know, so maybe I'm off base. Maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the dummy here, but I always thought that they were, you know, right in that firmly in that second tier. Ohio state, of course, is its own tier. Nobody's in that tier with them, but I thought they were always firmly in that second tier. And I didn't think Michigan state was at the start of the season. Of course, I've always had Penn state there. So I never really lost faith in them. Like I said, I, the team that showed up to the horseshoe, I thought it'd be dicey, you know, uh, the team that left the horseshoe, I don't feel good about right now, just without, it's Monday, you know, I just don't know who's going to be back, but I don't think all of them will. I think maybe Walker might give it a go. I don't know on Reed, but I would I'm hesitate. I, I'm kind of doubtful on him. Uh, Crouch, I have no idea about. Uh, Henderson said he expected to be back, but, you know, that was just after the loss. So maybe, you know, who knows what happens there. Um, and if, if, if all those guys are out, then, then yeah, that's a real problem. Uh, if even half of them are out, I think it's real dicey. So, yeah, I, I'm not loving Michigan State's chances. I just think uh, Dodson is a guy that could absolutely burn them. Like I mentioned earlier, anybody with a competent passing game right now is going to have a field day against this team. That's just that's just reality. They, they, they're not physically equipped to, to really defend a high-level passing attack. Um, they really weren't when they were healthy, and now they're far from that. So, it's really hard for them to defend, to defend a good passing game. And without their good weapons on offense, I don't know if they can keep pace. Normally, you know, I would say this is an offense that can get into the thirties pretty easily. They can now, they can, they can uh, trade touchdowns with a lot of teams, but without their top two receivers, if that's the case um, without Walker, if that's the case, uh, my confidence in that is severely diminished. So yeah, I think MSU has got their, got their work cut out for them. Um, right now, if I had to pick a winner, yeah, I would pick Penn state. I just, I don't feel good about uh, the depth that, that that they might have to go to in this game, and uh, I think Penn State, like just about anybody else, is going to be able to throw the ball around on them. I don't think the offense is really uh, equipped right now to to be able to keep pace. Kenneth Walker's good, and the two receivers very good as well. But let's talk about the most important part of this game: Bryce Beringer. And I think I'm saying that right, Beringer, Beringer, the number one punter in the Big Ten per average yards per punt, is going up against Jordan Stout, the number two four-time, now the four-time uh, Big Ten punter of the week or specialist of the week. This is a good matchup, man. I, I know we we kind of chronicle this every week because this every is the week. Big Ten, and this is what we. <laughs> sorry, Tyler. Tyler says it in jest. I'm all about the special teams. Uh, what what are the what are the Michigan State special teams bringing to the table, especially especially Beringer, who has a fantastic mustache in his profile picture. <laughs> right, right, and then he pairs it with the uh, the sport goggles, the, like the, the glasses, glasses goggles yeah. thing. He's got a heck of a look going on. Um, yeah, what a, what a what a celebration of Big Ten football this will be. We got the Land Grant Trophy. We got two elite punters. I mean, this is amazing stuff here, guys. <laughs> what more could you want? Yeah, exactly, exactly. We need uh, like 15 degrees and snow, and it'll just be perfect, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, he's good though. He, Bryce is good, and he was just kind of he was just kind of a guy last year. You know, he's made major strides. He might be, to be honest, as improved as any player on this team. And uh, for a defense that can give up 80 yards like that, um, he's been important. You know, against Ohio State, uh, it really didn't matter because they were scoring in 90 seconds anyway, and they could do it any way they wanted to do it. But uh, he's he's been he's been important um, in terms of pinning guys and making them. You know, because early on when it was all working, it was like, okay, this is a nice plan here. You pin them deep, make them go 90, 80, 70 yards on you, and the more times you make them snap it, we're going to be able to capitalize on your mistakes. And that's really what they were. You know, 
I've, I've said a lot of bad things about their defense on this podcast, but uh, they've all been true, though. It's been true basically the whole year, but then they get the interception in the red zone. Um, they get the, the timely strip sack that, that kills a drive, things like that. Uh, they've been able, they were really able to make those timely plays, and that made up for it. So, um, Barringer's been great. Uh, their kicker, Matt Coglin, is hurt right now, so that's something to watch. And uh, Penn State fans know Matt Coglin, uh, he's been around a long time, six year guy. Um, he's dealing with like a hip, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hip <laughs> flexor, I believe it is, um, lower body thing. So it's it's been a, an issue for a couple weeks now. Um, still pretty good on kickoffs, but uh, he's a guy that's never had the strongest leg, even when he was healthy. Um, so anything from past past forty yards, honestly, is is not is is a little dicey with him too. He's never had the strong leg, fifty yards, fifty plus. Forget about it. I mean, that's a coin flip at best. And now that he's hurt, you know, you got to add that factor in. So. That's something to watch. If it's a field goal type of game, um, low scoring or whatever, last second drive type of deal, that's something to watch because he's not he's not fully there, I don't think, right now. Um, and the return end, Jaden Reed was their guy. So if he's not, you know, he's returned two punts for touchdowns this year. He's had a couple nice kickoff returns. He's the guy there. If he's not able to go, that, that's a major drop off there because he, he's their best guy by a mile there. I don't know who else they would, they would turn to. And uh, you definitely wouldn't be able to give him anything close to Reed. So that's kind of the situation there. Uh, another thing to watch, they, they for some reason, even this late in the season, they're good for a, a punt team penalty once a game, some type of illegal motion or illegal formation. They Somehow they're still getting those. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and that's about it, though. Yeah, the return game I would think would be heavily diminished without Reed. Uh, Behringer's good. Coglin shaky from distance, but uh, otherwise pretty reliable. Well, it's a holiday week, so we wanted to get our listeners a bunch on Michigan State right off the bat. You certainly did that for us, Stephen. Thank you very much. He is Stephen Brooks, who covers these Spartans for 24-7 Sports, SpartanTailgate.com. We'll follow your coverage throughout the week to see what's going on in East Lansing. Uh, anything we can do to return the favor here from Happy Valley, you let us know. We'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, good, safe travels uh, heading out here, if either of you guys are, and have a good holiday. Well, I didn't really – I still don't know where my prediction is going to land, Sean, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to take a bit of a reexamination uh, of the Spartans after that conversation with Stephen Brooks. And if I see one person on our message boards or on social media call him a homer after his comments today from Michigan State, you're, you're getting muted. He uh, he joined us a little late because he had to re rearrange his office because the lighting was bad. He said it was just a shadow on his face. If, if we've got <laughs> Michigan State fans that watch this, they might want to he might want to put a shadow on his face and, and you know, make his voice change because uh, they're not going to like that one too much. <laughs> no, no. And and the, you look at the uh, the early odds from Vegas. It, uh, this one is right down the wire. And we think about where these two programs were you know, this time last week and what was ahead of them. It's crazy how much can change in college football in just a few days, but that's the way it goes. Um, Sean, we've got a, a few things coming up. Wednesday, expecting more of a, another a peek in at practice. We plan to be there. We'll, we'll be uh, there Wednesday night. But between now and then, just kind of waiting for maybe something to pop up with James Franklin. I think a lot of people are saying, what was he talking about in the post game?" as he'll be willing to open up on Tuesday about some long-term stuff and his commitment to the program he, he's got to pay due on that rent because if he if he shows up Tuesday in the press conference and has nothing to say, like he, he can do it. Uh, but people are not going to be necessarily pleased. And and he you know he kind of threw a carrot out there um, in front of everybody's face. Uh, to, you know, hold on, wait seventy two hours. Tuesday you'll find something out. Last week of the season, some of that coaching job speculation has died down. People think an extension. I don't know where we're going to land on this, but Franklin's got to come do with something, I guess, on Tuesday. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been hearing extension for a couple of weeks now, but I tell you what, after Mel Tucker's extension leaked last week, and then they went out uh, and did what they did against Ohio State, maybe maybe in season's not the time to do that. But yeah, we've been, been hearing extension for a while. It'll be interesting to see if there's confirmed figures to go along with it. Uh, stay tuned for that. If something pops, we'll probably get a breaking podcast to you. Um, otherwise, we're back with you on Wednesday, and we'll break down this matchup from a Penn State perspective, come to you with any updates on health status. There's a lot to learn about this Nittany Lions squad from that standpoint this week still. Follow all of our coverage at lions247.com. On, on behalf of our producer, Lance Glenn, my co-host, Sean Fitz, thank you to Stephen Brooks for joining us. I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.